0: This episode of Masters of the Market is proudly brought to you by AIA Health with AIA Vitality. Health insurance that protects and rewards. To find out more, visit AIAhealth.com.au. Look, to buy when there's blood in the streets, uh, lift up, check under the carpet. Many chop if you become master of the mock market. market, market. Well, David Adams, thanks very much for, for jumping on Masters of the Market. Been uh, been really looking forward to this conversation. Maybe before we get into it, we could start with reminiscent capital and uh, what your guys' investment philosophy is.
1: Yeah, great. No, thanks for having us. And um, very humbled by the name Masters of the Market. I <laughs> to view myself as a servant of the market. But um, so yeah, we're, we're a um, high conviction, discretionary macro fund, um, sort of higher volatility than your sort of typical uh, macro fund a little bit more closer to what macro funds used to be and focus very much on Asia. And we've partnered with Pinnacle Investments in Sydney. So they do all of our back office operations, distribution, all that sort of stuff. And we've been going since 2019.
0: And you've got an interesting background in market. It's a sort of, it's a type of investment philosophy you don't see a lot of in Australia in particular, where most funds are really bottom-up focused. How did you come to that sort of learning as to, to that's how you want to invest? And maybe who were some of those people Earlier on in your career, which, which played a heavy influence on you?
1: Yeah, good question. So, I came from sort of a maths and economics background and joined the sort of banking world kind of age 21 in London. And I was lucky enough, I joined a great desk, uh, CSFP, it was called, so Credit Suisse Financial Products. And it was a little bit, oh, to, to plug the name, it was a bit reminiscent of what we're going through now. And it was essentially the, the very early days of, of derivatives, especially in the, in the interest rate market, swaps, et cetera. So I joined as a sort of a market maker, you know, running, running um, trading books, um, so by no means a trader, you know, more of a risk manager. And what was interesting there was you had, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, back then we haven't heard this word for a long time, but financial engineers. And so these were the very, very switched on, you know, so PhD math uh, quant types, really kind of pushing the curve on pricing options and exotics, et cetera, et cetera. And it is somewhat reminiscent of what you think of blockchain now you've got obviously cryptographers etc etc and and blockchain experts and it was it was porting that pricing kind of technology and evolution into sort of traditional financial markets so i really love that kind of technical side of things and you know it took me probably about seven or eight years as a book runner risk manager and then seeing different types of clients and what was a real game-changer for me was I moved to Sydney and I ended up sort of running Morgan Stanley fixed income. And what was great about that was you're, you're a satellite office in the time zone. So when something big happens in the weekend, it was amazing you'd have, you know, because we were, uh, I was at Morgan Stanley, sort a well-known bank, you'd have some of the top names in the world would come through um, on a Sunday or a Monday morning, and they want to de- deploy, you know, something's happened, they want to deploy risk. So they hit the New Zealand market, then they hit Aussie rates, then treasuries in Japan. And just watching different styles big real money managers through to the Drucker Millers of the world you know it, it, I just started to sort of cherry pick and learn and look at the different styles and get interested in macro and it, and it took a period of time sort of as a prop trader to then you know proprietary trade and then take the next next step to move into a, into a hedge fund so sort of a little bit of luck a little bit of kind of the, the path I took um, that, that I arrived at this.
0: And you mentioned Stanley Drucker Miller who you know, I mean, I, I'm most interested in macro investing. He's just sort of the, the pin-up boy for or pinup man for, for macro. He's um, just got the most incredible track record. Who were some of the other big names that you came across in those, those formative years who, whose work you really admired?
1: Yeah, good, good, good question. I mean, the yeah, macro has really changed from what it used to be. You know, How I, so? Uh, so, you know, the evolution of it in many ways was, um, whether it was Paul Tudor Jones, et cetera, Um, would have very much of a partnership um, with high net worth individuals. So someone who's made a lot of money in real estate or commerce that's used to taking very substantial risks, but is not versed in finance. And it might be along the lines of either an access trade, you know, starting to push into uh, an equity market in somewhere like India or Russia where no one's got access and sort of shepherding them through that. And it used to be a lot more sort of um, collaborative in that obviously that PM would, would run the risk and they might, talk to the clients say you know i'm doing this you know do you want more of an allocation or do you want to get more involved etc cetera, etc cetera. very much of a partnership shepherded by the obviously the 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 hedge fund um, manager and you know outsized returns and they could be in any market totally unconstrained um and and then that got very institutionalized into you know pension fund you know more cash like returns etc cetera, etc cetera. and what you saw was um the, as a result unfortunately the returns came off and, and when these managers, you know, went back to their roots, whether it was, you know, Bluecrest or Allen, with the single manager fund, uh, the returns went back up again significantly because they weren't quite as constrained by the mandate. So if you look at, you know, um, uh, Macro in its purest sense, in many ways, it's like a method of thought. It's supplying, you know, skewed risk implementation in what's hot. And uh, which probably leads us into later in this, in this segment, why so many of the macro managers are now moving to crypto. They're able to take all of their risk management, skewed implementation and put that into something that's, uh, you know, 100% vol asset. It's been growing at, you know, 200% per annum.
0: So do you think what what changed with macro in terms of the returns diminishing was all of a sudden macro investors that were prepared to ride out extended periods of low returns or even maybe negative returns for really outsized lumpy returns when the macroeconomic environment changed? did they go from doing that to trying to get consistent returns each quarter because they'd been institutionalized was that was that the the, the thing that really changed in that period yeah. do you think
1: that's sort of what the data tells us and uh, you know i think it's a very dangerous word you know a lot of allocators will be in trouble for saying's but look you know sharp ratio mm. and you know, sharp ratio is a very dangerous word in some regards because to get very consistent you know steady results some people are fantastic and they can do that of course but quite often in this you know, lo- low vol world, you're selling some sort of optional volatility. Mm. Um, and then of course, every so often, it might be every three, four years or less, um, you get a very big event, which happened you know, even more regularly than that. And those steady returns then suddenly have a 40, 50, 70% drawdown. Um, so that institutionalization did hurt things. And, and you've seen you're starting to see a shift back whereby Managers have have, get, have have closed their funds, or they've handed back some money, and drifting back to you know kind of a more um, a returns focused um, uh, benchmark.
0: And of all those those great hedge fund managers, the sort of famous ones that you dealt with in your uh, in your working years up until now, what are some of the attributes that 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 you admire, or perhaps some that that appear common among some of the great investors that you've dealt with?
1: Sure. I mean, I was very lucky that I, I the, the, the desk I joined was essentially the founding partners of Brevin Howard. So we sat right next to the likes of Alan Howard, et cetera. And if I look at someone like him um, you know, and, and his team, number one, incredible work ethic, uh, it cannot be outworked. <laughs> Still to this day, I'll send him an email anytime a day or night he's back within five minutes. Hmm. It's mind blowing. Uh, so number one, number two is, is, is not cutting corners. Um, and it was really, really instilled early on, you know, not to cut, what do I, what do I mean by that? Um, not taking shortcuts in, such as uh, you know, selling some sort of out, of out of the money option to collect that premium because it's never going to go there. Mm. Um, or entering into a, a you know, swaps exposure with a counterparty that's you know, questionable, etc. Just getting rid of all of that downside risk. Very, very concentrated you know, concentrate, focus on downside risk. But look at some of the best managers uh, on the one hand. And then similarly, that those folks that are able to then flip, you know, the, the sort of expression is, you know, when you're when you're when you're losing, to trade smaller and smaller, and, and to manage your downside. And then these same folks, you know, whether it's someone like an Alan or a Stanley Druckmann or the best out there, um, being able to go very very large, very concentrated bets. Um, that, that's that, that those folks are very rare. That really moves the needle.
0: And Alan Howard, it sounds like, has pivoted uh, largely towards crypto investing these days, as have a lot of macro investors and. Sort of young young unemployed kids as well. Um, talk to me how, how you're viewing that landscape, maybe why so many macro investors have pivoted and yeah. uh, what do you think they're seeing in that space, which is so exciting. Okay, sure.
1: So um, let, let's let's go big picture for a second. Um, you know, if you look through history, uh, I've been reading a lot of economic history since I was a kid, you know, every 100 or so years, you get a complete regime shift in the reserve currency of the world. And we're, we're kind of due. Um, so if, if you look at what's happening, um, you've got this situation where you've got huge amounts of money printing going on. Um, and you, you've got, you're getting a very, very, very diverse outcome in terms of, uh, if you look at the top 1%, the top 10 percent, top 25%, uh, getting richer and richer, and richer, and the bottom decile and quartile is getting worse. Now I have no issue with, you know, um, people doing well at all. But it, it's it's getting gratuitous in the sense that you know if you look at is, is this really the best we can come up with? So you know our our idea of well, the current idea of support for the economy and for folks that are out of work and whatnot is you know the Fed will uh, credit digitally its treasury account. It'll buy it'll buy government bonds, and the U.S. banks will then have cash that they, in their wisdom, decide where that gets deployed. And look, they're most they're hardworking men and women with, with, with good intentions, but they've got commercial um you know, rationale for what they do and don't do and unfortunately what's actually happening is it's very blunt so if you look at small business lending it's actually falling uh, it's not getting into the bloodstream of of folks and so um you know why, why is this an issue this is an issue because yeah if you look at it's not very very well reported but you've had the most unprecedented rise in murders in the us last yeah. year um, if you look at folks that you know their, their handouts are rolled off and whatnot um, they don't own a property, they don't own crypto, they don't own a stock, and they're getting completely left behind.
0: A small amount of inequality I view as a really positive thing because it strives people to right. work harder and improve and, and create a better life for themselves. But the inequality we've got today is created uh, not through um, talent or hard work, but by people that have already accumulated wealth or people who are close right. to the government spigot. And is that sort of the, the differentiating
1: That's that's right. And so what you're seeing is, which, you know, I think Ralph Powell has has coined as being a bit of a life raft for folks, you know, I've got, I've got friends that are, you know, pilots and whatnot, they're completely out of work with no income, and this is not going well for them. And so, you know, what you started to see little splinters of this, whether whether it was, you know, the little guy um, in meme stocks, for example, you know, trying to take a little bit of kind of revenge or get that piece of the pie. And, you know, now with trading apps, etc., we've got whatever it is, I think three to 3.5 3. odd billion phones. Um, you can download these trading apps. And so and this i will round that back into your question is what I think, you know, I don't think we're about to lose the reserve status of the dollar. But what, what, what is happening is um, with the amount of kind of money being printed and that divergence is, you know, retail and the, sm- and the smaller folks are absolutely flocking to crypto it mm. you know, moves it's been rising you know at a very substantial rate in fact bitcoin i think over the past decades the the most appreciating asset on the planet so they're they're flooding into the space that's that that's number one um and then you know similar to it's not just crypto you know you're also seeing bit by bit i think a bit of a loss of trust in fiat paper money and so real things are starting to really explode whether it's energy yeah you know, broad commodities just hit, just hit a high uh kind of real things are going so this is you know big pictures is one for those kind of naysayers i'm, I'm watching with great interest you know because history is sort of telling us we've got all the backdrop in the world that you know folks are going to st- are starting to shift their kind of allocation of fiat money and so you know where could this go look you know we're probably talking um you're already seeing super high net worth swiss family offices and whatnot telling their their, their top uh, um, clients to have a bit more crypto or have some crypto Mm. Um, sovereign wealth funds are doing it Um, so it's coming and like i said you know the the retail folks uh, the growth rate of wallets and apps and phones is is phenomenal so where could this go you know over the next three years i think it's a big inflow story probably three to five years and even if the world goes from a one percent allocation to a three to five it's a huge number so that that's that's kind of interesting
0: and so you mentioned some of those fund managers and and even yourself who've pivoted to being. Not a crypto native if you like, but now interested in investing an allocation in the space. What about those investors who are really smart who, I mean, hey they may just not like it, or or the ones more that just aren't even willing to explore it? What what do you think's holding them back? Sure.
1: So I okay, guess so we just to be clear, we don't do it, we don't trade crypto as of yet for the Reminiscent Asia Fund. Yeah. For some of the reasons we're about to describe here, and that is um, you know, if you look at more traditional finance or, or some of the investors out there, some valid arguments. Um, yeah. Number one, um, Bitcoin's a pretty weird concept. Yeah. You know, Studenum <laughs> Satoshi and cryptography, you can understand why some folks would be, you know, a bit um, skeptical. So, so that bit, I understand. If we park Bitcoin as sort of digital gold, whatever people want to label it, and just look at the rest of the space, which is actually earning some revenue. Um, it, you know, in that regard, uh, with some of those... Especially where it's it's not a revenue based platform, where it's maybe a NFT, etc., etc. You know, folks find it very, very hard to to apply a discount cash flow model, and therefore, you know, how do they even approach it? So I think it'll take some time before it becomes mainstream, which is a good thing. It means there's alpha and opportunity, um, and then you know, it's it's also a case of uh, taking the plunge. They always, you know, the, the expression on the on twitter sphere is that you know your first bitcoin to buy the hardest bitcoin to buy is your first and of course almost everyone i know that's gotten involved is hooked um you know, <laughs> as, as i'm sure you've seen with maybe that's yourself until it <laughs> crashes that's right that's right
0: <laughs> what about for me it looks like you know there's a lot of super smart investors who um everyone's got an ego and in a way the younger retail investors have an advantage because their ego is not going to be smashed if they make an investment and it turns out to be stupid because yeah. their identity is not built around being right in financial markets. Is there a little bit of that's what's happening? I, I see so many investors online who are so well-versed in just criticising ideas and desperate for people to view them as clever, yeah. but they're not necessarily the ones that make much money um, because they're not prepared to risk they don't have a tolerance to risk looking stupid and personally the best investments I've made are ones when I'm talking about them to someone I feel a little bit embarrassed talking about them because it sort of feels a little bit stupid but that's why it's a non-consensus view and and there's the potential for asymmetry there do you think that's a part of it as well
1: yeah so you know if if you look at we've got this I'm quite excited uh, as an investor just even watching and just observing from afar type of thing in some of the instances but You've got this almost perfect cocktail of huge amounts of liquidity huge amounts kind of access and trading apps so that's this kind of drift and sort of what i'd sort of say to folks is you know when you're looking at something like crypto you know if you're looking at say fx volatility it's about eight to ten percent annualized vol equity somewhere around 15 to 20. crypto somewhere in the 80 to 150 percent vol so the first thing i would sort of say to folks is you know if you're going to give someone a play with 100 grand um divide that by five because volatility adjusted you're like for like if your returns in a certain day are up or down or a given month or a certain number 50 percent, for example divide by five and it'll just put your, your whole frame of reference will calibrate correctly to the asset class so that's probably one thing i would say you you, you are, you're still a little bit more about you know the, the sort of ego element of, of, of and i think that's a great point because what I would say, similar like myself, twenty-three years in markets, various different markets, have uh, got involved in things when they were very early. But if I look at the crypto space, you know, I would say you have to be incredibly humble, incredibly humble. Um, there, there's a lot of potential pitfalls. So, for example, you know, even with stable coins um and the whole um the whole sphere so if you've got money on an exchange you've got potentially regulatory risk mm. you potentially got the exchange could go under now it's a lot better than it was and of course you had theft before and hacking and things like that but you know the internet was no, no different if you probably a bit before your time but when i first started working we used to get email hacks all the time and they don't happen anywhere near as much so so there's a, there's a lot to be very cautious with with regard to to, to some of those things we've described um, and like, as I mentioned, you know, if you look at say something like a tether, I don't want to deride tether, but it's not crystal clear how well that's backed. Mm. They have in their recent filings, denied owning Evergrande CP, but they do earn some A2 CP lists. So let's talk about that for a minute. Some folks have done great in crypto and they've, they've, they've built up say half a million dollars in their account in their Binance accounts. And they just left it in the default, which is tether, you know, there's a reason they're getting paid these yields. Mm. And that is there is a non non zero chance that, um you could have a problem with the backing of tokens, stable coins like that. And it, it won't be slow. It'll be a waterfall where it goes mm. from a dollar to 10 cents to zero. Um, and so if you look at your typical sort of macro folks and folks that have come through many, many years of um, very kind of tail event risks and, 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 and pitfalls that are out there. If, if I look at some of the best people that I know from macro that have moved over to crypto, even they are incredibly humble, you know, and they're drawing on all of the skills they've got with regard to risk management um to make sure they avoid those pitfalls now on the flip side um you know for some folks ignorance is bliss and when you've got something growing at 200 percent and they're limit long they're going to have a great month quarter or a year by all means but there is that inherent risk in there um that they're probably not as aware of
0: and what are some of the tokens that you're most interested in at the minute
1: so it's, it's a lot like the internet 20 plus years ago um i've got a book behind me i uh, bought after the crash and it's on page one it's got amazon uh, you know this delivery company we, we we're not sure they'll make it and um you know uh not too many not too many promising prospects for them it was a dollar fifty at the time and obviously they've made eight thousand times that or more so i think you know one must be humble to this i think the space is super interesting now i don't think anybody knows uh for yeah. sure at this stage so I think I said- sense-
0: And we're not giving tips to anyone, to anyone- No, no, anyone no, no. I mean, I'm gonna, give you, I'm gonna give you actually explore which protocols you find most interesting.
1: Yeah, for sure. I'm gonna give you, I mean, my thoughts, but what I meant What I meant by that was, uh, I, I don't think anybody knows, I think it'll change a lot um, as we go through time, but you know, in, in in the short time frame, three, six months, a year or two, you know, we can have probably a good handle on what some of those might be, which I'll, I'll mention in a minute. Um, but I do think a little bit like the early days of the internet, like Netscape and whatnot, um, you know, some of those ended up going close to zero. And so, you know, if, if I was to look now, I think very simply if I was talking to someone not in finance, I'd say something along the lines of if you had $100,000, you want to have the big two. So you want to have you know, 60 odd percent of that, 65% in Bitcoin and Ethereum with maybe um, of that split, 40% Bitcoin and sort of 60% Ethereum. And then you kind of you kind of got it in some ways. Uh, you know, if, 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 this, if, if those two go up a heck of a lot, uh, it's decent chance the alts do you know, very well, if not a lot better. But you're going to kind of get the space sort of with those two. So I'd say something along the lines of make sure you've got that. Um, and, and then, you know, I, I would split it out across some of the platforms um, and networks that look really interesting and arguably better, probably better in some ways. So be the likes of Solana and uh, Algorand um, and Luna um and then you probably want to you know think about sort of much like you would an equity portfolio um have a little bit of exposure to some of the gaming space you know whether it's things like engine coin um and uh there's obviously um you know all of the nft space uh i'll I'll park nfts for a second but you know if you look at almost like in in in, um in traditional markets you know there's gaming um there's lending um all these different sectors and, and 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 have some of your altcoins where you've got a little bit of exposure to, to those sorts of things um i haven't made my mind up on it fully yet but a very interesting token um which which possibly is a ponzi scheme i wouldn't put it in the fund i wouldn't necessarily put investors into it without huge disclaimers but it, it, it is interesting it's got my attention that's hex whereby what they're trying to do is this sort of online uh, cd you know savings deposit um type of setup where Essentially what happens is you go and you you can stake the coin for a long period of time and get somewhere between 20 and 40%. Um, I think it's been the highest performing token in history. Um, So, you know, big picture, what they're probably trying to do is own a decent or have a decent amount of the world savings pool and kind of distribute part of that back to the owners. Um, But still, I have a lot of question marks on that one. (laughs) It's It's a lot of bad press around it. Um, But that's that's somewhat interesting.
0: and it feels like there's regulation coming down the pipe. I guess, do you feel the more decentralized the protocol is, the lower the risk of regulation? Do you feel that maybe there'll be some industries like, say, the play-to-earn gaming that'll be less at risk of regulation versus defy protocols? How are you maybe viewing that overarching theme of, of regulation in crypto, which feels like it's coming out of the US in, in one form or another?
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's going to be quite country. It can be quite complicated, quite country specific. Um, I don't have a lot of edge other than from what I'm observing. And that looks like different countries are still learning as they go. It looks like the U S is actually going to shift, um, a little bit more pro in some regards hmm. to crypto. It's also interesting that, you know, central banks have written papers on it exploring it a lot more. It goes back to my very first comment that the central banks are starting to toy with the idea of instead of this quite, clunky sort of QE mechanism, we can just digitally credit people's accounts. Yeah, it's very clean and make sure people are actually getting the money. Um, so there's a lot going on. Um, what do I think, if I was to guess sort of big picture, uh, you know, I, would, I, th- I think regulation will get its hands around all of it. Um, you know, you're seeing now that to open an account, you've got to do KYC and provide your address and all those sorts of things. Um, I've spoken to some, some folks out there that are quite sort of advanced in the compliance space in crypto and, yeah, they've been the first to point out that uh, despite slightly, um, you know, sort of gray background to, 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 to Bitcoin and, 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 the, and the blockchain, it's actually very, very traceable. Mm. Um, you know, it's by definition, it's all on the blockchain. So as they get the kind of um, monitoring tools, and that sort of stuff up the curve, um, I, I think uh, regulation will come across most parts, as will taxation. I, you know, I've spoken to some folks and, you know, the way I'm conducting myself is just assume that everything is... Um, is, is audited and looked at and, um, and you know, treated um, as if it's all taxable. And, and then you have no downside. You're doing everything with, uh, you know, with, with the spirit of kind of the, the taxation that may or may not come into place. Um, and, you know, I, sh- I should think regulation will find its way around it uh, over time.
0: And you see the US and China in what's been described as almost a cold war, really. You know, China recently banned Bitcoin for the umpteenth time, but this time it feels like the ban is more genuine than it has been in the past. Certainly a lot of the Chinese uh, crypto exchanges are, are showing that to be the case. Do you think the game theory will eventually kick in where the US decide that this could be an advantage in that Cold War that they're currently facing with, with China and actually choose to embrace it like they did the internet and enjoyed the fruits of, in, of, of embracing that innovation when they did?
1: Yeah, it's, I think it's sort of probably a likely outcome. It's probably a likely outcome. And it feels a little bit like maybe what, because China is a huge holder of Bitcoin, um, feels a little bit like what they might be doing because they can over there is put the brakes on till they catch up, you know, till they catch up and get their hands around taxation and regulation. And I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of reopen the plumbing uh, at, a, at a future date, but I think they want to catch it. And I don't, in some ways I don't blame them. I think it's um, it's probably quite onerous with a billion on people. and. The rate that the you know the wallets and the leverage was growing out for them to just dab the brakes, um, and and the US will probably do well, kind of getting ahead.
0: And talk to me about NFTs. You know, they're they're all the rage, and it's been it's been a fairly long mania now um, in terms of crypto. It's been going for for quite a while, and and still really strong. Maybe a, a helicopter view for people that aren't familiar with non-fungible tokens, what they are. But then I'd really like to dive into. To why they're important going forward if, if you believe they are
1: yeah sure so i i'm, I'm not the world's expert but what, what little i know is as follows is that um you know so so it's essentially ownership you know whether it's ownership of a painting or in a more practical sense what's happening now is uh, sort of digitalization of assets so an example might be you've got a young couple they just can't afford the home that they want to live in in sydney or melbourne um, and it's just going to pass them by but they want some exposure so what can happen is over time, like the U.S. has sort of started, this. So it'll probably come here, is they can buy $200,000 worth of, say, for example, Melbourne property. And I, and I presume the way that'll work is it'll be a basket of, of properties that get digitized and there's partial ownership for people. So you might have a part share in 100 units, for example. So that's a good thing. You know, I think there's, there's benefit for everyone um, in, in something like that. And then on the more sort of um, racy side of things. Um, it, it, the NFT market, whether it's a piece of art or something similar, is very much like a very, very racy commodity market, where it's a greater fool theory, what will someone pay, you know, I think a stone or whatever was bought for half a million dollars, and if someone's going to pay more for it, now that, that whole space, you know, I, I, I don't invest in it, would I, would I play for fun in some bits and bobs, yes, um, the people that are real experts in that space, they sort of know, um, you know, what's going to have some some demand, whether it's you know kids that might want to have uh, exposures to pokemons so the digital there's some real stuff there that if you've got some edge in your, in your niche area you could do very well um, but I think with that a, a little bit like tulips is that you know that's been um, accelerated by huge wins they've had elsewhere in crypto um, by lots and lots of, of money around lots and lots of leverage around so I'd I just be a bit cautious um, for some of the um, more kind of um, inexperienced or new investors space maybe not to plunge in with your whole portfolio and those those ones uh, early up. But uh, look, the a The ether
0: rocks of- are amazing, aren't they? I mean, for those that don't know, an ether rock is a, a JPEG of a gray rock that could be drawn by, a, I don't know, an eight to 10 year old really. And there's about, I don't know if there's a hundred rocks in slightly different shades of gray and they're selling for millions of dollars yeah. US, which initially my gut reaction was, well, that's ridiculous. But then I heard- because Dominic Frisbee talk about, um, you know, that art tells you an important story about what's happening in that particular time. And, and that's always been the case since the history of, of time. That's what art does. And, and if you look at what those ether rocks are telling you, potentially, you know, potentially it's just akin to the tulip manual. Potentially it's telling you that post-GFC, when the Federal Reserve flooded the money of the system with money instead of letting bad actors go bankrupt, which has happened in capital- capitalism mm-hmm. since capitalism started. Um, they set off a chain of events where money is slowly becoming more and more trivialised and we're currently in an era where people are moving to spend more of their, their life in the digital universe instead of oh, yeah. the their physical universe. And nothing really speaks to that as perfectly as a plain rock gray JPEG that's selling yeah. for millions of dollars. It encapsulates all that. Yeah. in one piece of artwork and and perhaps whilst it's easy to just say this is stupid it's like the the tulip mania which lasted for six months six months in europe or whatever it did if you actually stop and think about it it, it can maybe tell an interesting story about what's currently happening before our very eyes
1: i think that's spot on and you know when you get these big regime shifts um you know to exact exact point i th- you know i think there was a stat showing some of the you know teenagers are spending more than half their waking hours in the virtual world yeah if I look at my children like how they think and how they operate I can't we can't relate to that that's a very different world they've grown up in and the way they think about um, the world and, and money and you know if one wanted to be quite optimistic about the space for a moment um, it could be very what probably is very very early and You know i find it very very interesting that the traditional gold and silver is not playing any of the role that it has done um you know maybe if you're a young young folk in in india and china and traditional big buyers of those things they're just probably not doing it anymore you know it would would have been interesting to go and gift someone a a bar bar of gold etc now they'd probably prefer a piece of bitcoin or an nft or whatever Mm -hmm. not to be underestimated it could be huge kind of shifts huge shifts happening
0: yeah I i was just gonna ask like being a macro investor and i presume you spent a lot of time obviously trading commodities and currencies but i think understanding the difference of what assets will mean revert versus what what assets have the potential to experience exponential growth and, and getting that difference right because it's so material as an, in, as an investor and I, I don't know if a lot of investors spend a lot of time thinking about it. Is that something you spend much time thinking about in your in, in your investing
1: yeah, it's a good good point to write. Look, I should look, I, I should have started my career in equities, because to exactly that point, you know, being a fixed income and a rates person, it's, you know, uh, it's it's not necessary. you can make lots of return, obviously, but it's not unbounded, your know, rates are fairly bounded by the, way. the central banks put the front end. FX broadly tend to be mean reverting and bounded, whereas equities, of course, have got that asymmetric uh, kind of upside, which is why you often see, you know, if you've got a very, very equity kind of focused Hedge fund, their returns can be phenomenal because they've got that asymmetry uh, to the upside. If they they happen to to be on those those really high growth stocks, it's really game changing over the long run. Um, But um, yeah, so 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 back to the point on um, assets and kind of asymmetry. It is interesting if we if we continue to get you know what I've been sort of calling a fiat flea which is people kind of moving out more and more out of paper money um it's really going to be interesting to see what happens to real things and so you know we're seeing we've seen obviously crypto um we're seeing um commodities energy now i'm uh, trying mm-hmm. to release something yesterday say secure your energy at all costs um so it's going to be you know we've, we've had lots of repeats of this through history you know napoleon, napoleon wars when there was a real kind of breakdown in kind of um trust of, of sovereigns you know napoleon's advisor had him go and buy, um, Acres and acres and acres of, of forests because it was real and it had a 7% yield. Um, famously, you know, um, Julian Robertson, many, many years ago, big chunks of New Zealand he bought, you know, it's a real thing for him. And so it would be interesting to watch um, over, over the coming months and quarters what happens to real things. Hmm. Um, and, and if the fiat kind of flee deterioration gets a lot worse, quite where they go. And this is not a great thing for the little guy again. If you look at the US right now, you know, their fuel's gone up, their gas has gone up, their energy's gone up, their 30-year mortgage rate's just gone up. It's kind of wiping out quite quickly all of, the, all of the handouts. And the problem is, though, those don't have to mean revert in a hurry. Um, so, you know, it could be quite- well, especially if
0: ESG just keeps getting stronger and stronger, they, they don't have to mean revert ever, do they?
1: Well, that's right. That's right.
0: I'm um, yeah. well, with great interest
1: how that, yeah, how that evolves.
0: So we'll finish up in a second, but I, I guess, um you know, markets have been really strong. A lot of asset prices have gone up. Most investors, particularly, you know, not so much in Venezuela or countries like that, but most Western investors, when they think of a crash, it's obviously asset prices dropping and it's a, def- it's a deflationary crash. Talking about the flea from fiat, like you mentioned, do you feel there's a risk that the crash is not sort of a, A deflationary crash where prices or everything are dropping, but there's there is some probability that the crash looks like asset prices exploding and the damaging impact that has on society, and particularly Mm -hmm. the little guy that you mentioned.
1: That's a good point. And look, it's not paid to be too bearish because in a world where there is so much liquidity, you know, these dips get bought and the central banks come in. So, so you know, I've I've given an analogy. In some ways, the more dangerous thing is actually if you're a hard-working conservative person and you live on a street with a bunch of other folks and you're just saving your money retirees they're not getting paid any income for it um and you know their their neighbors might be long their properties you know long equities etc and the divergence gets quite significant now that's been okay up until now but if you're starting to get you know a runaway in prices of things that you need your fuel your energy your food then it becomes exactly right it becomes a problem now one thing that I'm paying attention to, and it's, it's it's strange, but it's often led the world, is New Zealand. Um, very often led the world in, in rate regime shifts. You wouldn't think it, but they have for for a, for a lot you know, in many cases. And what happened there was quite interesting. You had, uh, you know, last year, the electorate essentially turned around and said, you know, we, you know, house prices are a problem. they go up too quick, and we can't afford to buy them. And and the government essentially turned around and sort of you know, amended uh, uh, the, the RBNZ's mandate somewhat to pay a lot more attention to house prices. And what does that mean? That means their propensity, you know, they, they were the same as everyone else. They're like, we're not raising rates to 2024, then it got to 2023, then 2022, and now they're gonna raise probably, uh, you know, uh, this month, it's fully priced. Um, and that's probably a good thing because it adjusts some of that stuff we were speaking about, that, you know, asset prices up here, um, the little guy not doing so well. Maybe if you dab the brakes with rates, you gotta be very careful how you do it mm. because you don't want to engineer a crash by any means. But that's, that's starting to spread. Uh, if you look at you know, great economist Bill Evans you know, starting to make mention that you know, the RBA mandate probably needs a look. I um, think it's a little bit out of date, a bit, a bit too high with the rest of the world. And you know, what would that mean? That would mean that if they can bring down that inflation target, um, and I want to say this to, to, to offend any homeowners, it doesn't need to be by any means a crash or, or, or a significant correction, but you know, the, you'll probably find the conversation around rate rises here I think will accelerate greatly. I think you'll find you'll, you'll get something next year, probably before mid next year, as opposed to what's being been earmarked 2023, 2024. And, and that doesn't need to be, um, as I mentioned, anything that's terrible for equity markets or property markets, but just to probably dab the brakes a bit, allow people to kind of catch up. Uh, if they can engineer that and the RBA tends to do a great job, that'd be a good thing. Um, but, it, but if it, your, your, your first kind of opener, um, if these things aren't handled well around the world, and you get those runaway kind of prices, uh, you know, that's going to be a problem.
0: Beautiful. Mate, that's as, as good a place as anywhere to finish. So uh, I've loved it. love the chat. Thanks very much for, uh, for the time and hope to yes. speak to you again sometime. Thanks a lot for having me
1: on. Appreciate it.
0: This episode of Masters of the Market is proudly brought to you by AIA Health with AIA Vitality. Health insurance that protects and rewards. To find out more, visit aiahealth.com.au. If you're enjoying Masters of the Market, make sure you subscribe to Chris Judd Invest. Nothing you hear today should be considered investment advice. Please do your own research and seek out your own financial advisor before committing any capital to these markets.